I have um, four chickens. Like I said, I have one, a red chicken. Her name is Millie. The white and brown chicken is Lucille. The black and white chicken is Rio. And the yellow chicken is Chickpea. Meet my aunt. Lisa Davenport owns a home on the west side of Madison, and in her backyard you can find a chicken coop. Although her daughters were originally skeptical of the idea of bringing home four little chicks, although I'd like to state for the record that I was always a fan, they have been a hit. So when I go in the backyard, if I let them out for any period of time, they will follow me around. They like to be held. Um, I have one chicken in particular that really likes to be held <laughs> and carried around. So kind of not snuggling. You don't snuggle your chickens, but it is still nice to carry them around and and they're very social, and they have different personalities, and they're beautiful. She's even been able to share her chickens with nursing home residents. During Wisconsin Farm Month, she washed and blow-dried the chickens, brought them in, and placed them on the laps of residents who wanted to hold them. Basically, the chickens fell asleep in their laps, and it was this amazing experience with nursing home residents who may not even be totally with it, but they had chickens when they were children, And they remembered how to take care of chickens, the different breeds of chickens that they had. Here's the thing. Lisa doesn't live out in farmland. She lives right here in Madison. All this chicken goodness is possible because city zoning allows it. Zoning is a pretty big word that you'll hear thrown around in city processes a lot and a lot in articles, including the ones that I write. But it's kind of a big, confusing concept. At its most basic level, zoning determines what you can do in your yard and what your neighbor can do in theirs, like have chickens. It also determines if they can keep bees or how tall that development down the block can be or whether your neighborhood will be subject to the smell of roasting coffee beans. So big picture... It tells developers what they are allowed to build and where, and that's what we'll be exploring today. I am Lisa Speckard-Pask. I am the Metro reporter at the Cap Times, and I am joined by my colleagues. Hi, I'm Abby Becker, and I am the city and county government reporter for the Capital Times. Hey, I'm Eric Lawrenson. I'm a tech and culture writer for the Cap Times. And we are the Madsplainers. All right, so we're going to just jump right into zoning, and Eric is going to start explaining it for us. Yeah. Uh, first of all, Lisa, that was super good. <laughs> um, How about my music, though? <laughs> <laughs> that was very good, Abby. I was going for soulful. Yeah, so. no, I feel like we really sort of had a good thing going on I think on we're there. 10 out of 10 nailing this so far. Yeah. Someone asked me what zoning is. What's zoning, Eric? So glad you asked. Okay, so zoning can be sort of thought of as two closely interrelated ideas. So one, zoning refers to this idea where a city will take a map of the land that it's on and break it up into little chunks, little parcels of land, little zones, if you will, and Two, the city will then say, here's what you can do in this parcel of land, and here's what you can't do in this parcel of land. And for each little parcel of land, it's going to be a little bit different. Abby, let me hand this off to you. Give us some examples. What are the kinds of rules that cities make up? 
Yeah, so density, so how many people are allowed to be in one of those zones that you so well described. Height restrictions, um, I think Lisa and I see that a lot in some of the developments oh, yeah. that we cover. Yeah, and generally, you know, size of the building on a lot, and those sorts of things. Okay, so generally speaking, there are different kinds of flavors of zones that exist mm-hmm. in Zone a city. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Tell us about those, Abby. So, yeah, so some types of zoning districts. One common example would be residential. I mean, think neighborhoods. You know, if you're living in, um, you know, on a street with just a bunch of regular old houses, you're probably in a residential district. But then there's also commercial. Um, so think of, you know, where you tend to shop. Um, that that's one kind of district. Another kind is mixed use. So this is, you know, as it says in the name, a mix of uses. Um, it is the Neapolitan ice cream <laughs> if you, yes. of zoning, <laughs> if you think about it. To carry the metaphor forward. I, I like that a lot. So, yeah. So oftentimes we see like commercial on the first floor and apartments on an upper floor. Think of East Washington Avenue and a lot of the new buildings there. So from Capitol Square to First Street in that Capitol Gateway corridor area, um, there's been a lot of new buildings there. And I think most all of them are, are mixed use. And then, and then there, of course, there's some other districts, and some are kind of unique to Madison. There are also special districts, so that would include um, like the airport, um, you know, colleges, and also, um, you know, farmland. So I recently checked out the zoning map that uh, Madison manages. Uh, just a, you know, a map that includes all of these little districts with all those different sets of rules, from you know, residential zones to commercial zones to mixed use. Um, and it is something. It is this complicated, weird-looking patchwork of different blobs and squares and misshapen things. It is a very complex grid work. And there are some zones that are just like the size of one little building, some zones that are like one and a half square miles, like the University of Wisconsin-Madison campus is one giant zone. It is a campus institutional district. Um and all told, there are 2,256 little parcels of land that each have their own little set of just rules. Just in the city of Madison, Just right? in the city of Ra- yeah. just in the city of Madison. And you counted exactly. them individually on the map yourself. I did. It took um, all of last week. That's why I wasn't able to write any articles or help you guys out with podcast or anything. This is dedication was, to craft. Yeah, exactly. I had I'll, to start over many times. Like, if you picture how many that is, Abby made a good comparison of, like, a paint-by-numbers of the city of Madison because it's just all these little chunks making up the city of Madison proper. Absolutely. Also, uh, one other fun fact, we right now are sitting in a district that looks like a fancy boat. <laughs> we, I brought this up before. I showed you guys a picture. Yeah, and that's what the, the district we are sitting in right now that encompasses the Capital Times headquarters. That's what it, it kind of looks like. Really, the only object that you could say this looks like is a fancy boat. Definitely something nautical. Abby, one thing that I see you write about and Lisa write about all the time is the idea of something called conditional use. What is that and why does it why does it tend to come up? Yeah, so there are conditional uses and then there are also permitted uses. So um, we've talked about how there are um, different rules for what you can and cannot do in the district, but some of the uses of what you can do um, would be on a conditional basis. So 
Permitted use is something that is allowed in that district um, by right. You don't need any special permission to have that thing. Whereas a conditional use, you would need sort of separate permission to do that, um, to get that permit. Um, and so this this allows sort of more flexibility for cities, um, you know, to, to have different things in districts. And um, those conditional uses go through a public hearing process. So residents have an opportunity to give their, their opinion on that. So I guess what, one example, um, going back to those chickens, so, so keeping chickens is, you know, allowed by right in particular districts. Um, just because I have a chicken doesn't mean I could just, you know, set up a community garden for myself and all of my neighbors. A community garden would be something that um, is a conditional use. Right. It's something that is not explicitly allowed for in a uh, in a particular zone, but it's a thing where, like, if you go through certain hurdles and the city says it's okay – then it's uh, it's something that you can get signed off on. Exactly, exactly. Okay, so we talked about what you can do where, but let's talk about the bigger picture of why cities zone at all. And there's someone who can actually help us out with this part of the conversation, someone who Abby and I sat down to have a conversation with a while ago. My name is Matt Tucker, and I work for the city of Madison, and the position I hold is the zoning administrator for the city. Okay, so we asked Matt what zoning is and why cities do it in the first place. Here's what he said. Zoning is probably our most basic or fundamental tool that regulates the development of land. And zoning can be seen, I guess, in two ways. Uh, Sometimes people see zoning as something that is a restriction on your property that prevents you from doing or building something. Other times, uh, people look at zoning as something to ensure that what happens adjacent to you isn't uh, adversely affecting affecting you, whatever that may be. Okay, so what would be some hypotheticals of how this would play out? It's pretty easy to think about if you think about you're going down a street and what if you saw a house, house, factory with smokestacks, house? Well, Obviously, that wouldn't happen because zoning says this is a residential area. This is what's allowed here. Um, it's also, I would I would not want to live in that neighborhood. You wouldn't want to live in that all. neighborhood. Yeah. Uh, it's fun and easy to think about this if you think about very extreme examples, like a strip club. There is currently only one strip club in Madison because zoning is so uh, strict about it. Strip clubs in Madison have to be at least 500 feet away from schools, parks residences and places of worship. So that narrows down a lot of places that you could put a strip club. And that's why there's only one left. But, you know, obviously that's why zoning exists is so that you would not put a strip club next to an elementary school or a church. That would, you know, maybe not be a good relationship for either of those establishments. Yeah, there's some buildings that like to be next to each other and yes. some that don't. Yeah, and it makes sense to maybe make some rules to sort of make sure that that kind of separate them happening. out. Yeah. Uh, There's other reasons, though, that um, zoning is important. Safety is one. For example, you need to have – houses have to have certain space between them so that uh, emergency vehicles like fire trucks can get through. Uh, To protect the environment, there's specific zoning about shoreland and wetlands. Um, So, like, if you own property that's within 1,000 feet of a lake or a pond, you have special zoning that applies to you about, like, how close you can build a building to the shore – how you can cut vegetation on your shoreline so that you're not eroding the shoreline and things like that. 
preserving character is a big reason for zoning and one that you often hear come up in neighborhood debates about new developments. Uh, An example of this is on the 700 block of East Washington. A developer is proposing to take 11 lots, and each of these lots has kind of an older home on it, and move some around and take some out entirely and build some new buildings in there. And it's just a huge project. And so uh, the neighborhood has some problems with what they call, this is a quote from a council member of their neighborhood association, the major disruption to the fabric of the neighborhood, which is something that you actually hear a lot when you cover things like this because they're saying, hey, our neighborhood is little houses in a row. We don't want developers to swoop in here and make, you know, these massive apartment complexes on our street. Uh, Another great example of this is Sequoia Commons. Yes, yeah. And as Lisa was just talking about, um, you know, a lot of the decisions about what goes into someone's neighborhood or an area that they're frequenting all the time um, can raise conflicts. And so Sequoia Commons is one of those. Um, So this is currently a mixed-use project at Midvale and Tokay Boulevards. It was formerly called Midvale Plaza. And in the development um, is Sequoia Library. And so that's kind of like the anchor tenant of, of the project. There's also condo units and some businesses in there. And when this project was being floated uh, to the community, there was a lot of concern because um, this was going to add something new and different into the neighborhood. It would also introduce you know, more businesses and more people. And with that comes um, traffic and parking worries. And really, this was a controversy about zoning. Because for those changes to happen, the zoning for the area needed to change in the first place. Matt Tucker broke this down for us. We had our older, more suburban-style zoning code, and this uh, so our zoning did not uh, relate to what the city wanted to see at this location. But you were replacing a basically a one-story commercial area with a multi-story mixed-use uh, development, and uh, you know it's a change. Uh, it has effects on the surrounding area. It, it can, can increase traffic, uh, and, and in some cases, it can increase congestion. And those tend to be things that neighborhoods care a lot about: our traffic. Density shadows are also a really big thing. Noise. <laughs> Noise. Is a huge one. Uh, a fun example of shadows <laughs> is the AC Hotel downtown is 10 stories high, which provides a great view of the Capitol. But uh, there was some neighborhood backlash to that project and originally did not get approved. Um, the neighbors were worried that the um, there's a Frank Lloyd Wright-designed house uh, like adjacent to it and – because of the new Tower Hotel, it would be in shadows for two more hours in the day. And neighbors were very upset about that. Wow. Yeah. I had no idea. People get very – like shadow studies are a huge thing for developments if they're tall. Like people want to know if they're going to be in shadows more than they were before. People care. People care, which is one of the beautiful things about – zoning is that people and, and really care. People care a lot in Madison. Madison neighborhoods are very involved. Uh, I was talking to some people at the city lately, you know, comparing like, do people in Madison care more than other communities? And the short answer is yes, they do care more than Yeah, there's a, definitely a hyper-local engaged citizenry here. Um, and Which is it's good. kind of unbelievable sometimes at meetings. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And uh, people like that anger can last for a a while, well after the Sequoia Commons project was well underway and was being constructed. um, There were still people writing in to the Wisconsin State Journal, like Lori Davies, in 2009, wrote a letter saying, and I quote, I think this project was crammed down our throats by the developer and sanctioned by the city of Madison. What used to be a quiet street is busier, noisier, and more dangerous for our residents, especially the children. It's Madison Never for you. Never let go. 
Yeah. So one of the things I like to think about when um, you know we, we think about the zoning code is that it really can reflect sort of um, the priorities of a community and sort of the identity and characteristics and personality of the community. And I think one of these examples um, does jump back to Lisa's aunt's chickens. Um, when the zoning code rewrite was being discussed, there were a, there was a group of community members that pushed for changes that would make the city of Madison more uh, more friendly to urban agriculture. So throughout that public input process, um, this group of people was able to influence the code so that backyard chickens and honeybees are are permitted by right so you can have those. And I in thinking about Madison, I feel like there's this field of fork movement and people have their big active backyard gardens and they compost. Anyway, I, I just think that that is sort of a, a personality of Madison and you see that reflected in the zoning code because it's easy it's easy to do those things. And my uh, Aunt did comment that she knows people who live not in Madison who would like to have chickens, but it's not permitted by their zoning code yet. So we are on the cutting edge of chicken allowance. We are. We are on the cutting edge. That's actually something that Matt Tucker said. I, I still get contacts from people across the country, probably you know half a dozen a year. It's slowed down a little bit of municipalities that are looking at doing what we did uh, or how we did it because they're trying to introduce uh, that uh, allowance into their areas. Really, at that time, the city was kind of forward thinking about these kinds of things and what a zoning code um, you know, should contain and how that would affect the city. Yeah, it's clear that he and you know other, other folks at the city spent a lot of time thinking about what this code is and how it reflects the city that we want to be and how it aligns with the, the vision laid out in the so-called master plan that the, the city has. And that is the notable thing about zoning is these are laws that we're talking about. Zoning ordinances are on the books. They are not just these ideas of what the city should be. They are enforceable laws. And a lot of the time we try and have them align with these ideas for what we want the city to be. These master plans written out by the city, by different neighborhoods, by different institutions in Madison. But the difference between those plans and zoning is that one is a law. Uh, if you break the law, there's going to be consequences. So that can be fines or tickets or um, Matt Tucker even told us they have to bring some people to court. But um, so there's consequences. And you might wonder, well, how did the zoning people find out if you are breaking the zoning of the area? Well, obviously, if they notice something, they're going to follow up on it. But they also have help from all of your neighbors. You know, we like to say we've got uh, 250,000 pairs of eyes uh, in our in our department, you know, because we have uh, all the citizens that are uh, citizens of our community are, are seeing things. And we're, we can't be everywhere at every time. Yeah. And that's that they end up enforcing a wide range of stuff. We do a lot of work with signage violations. There's a lot of illegal signage out there. Um, we do a fair number of um, like cars parked on the front lawns or inoperable vehicles, abandoned vehicles. Uh, we do a lot of uh, driveway or paving uh, widening. We do some work with illegal fencing. He pointed out that some things are really easy to fix, like maybe your car is parked somewhere on your lot that it's not supposed to be. Okay, well, that's easy. But if your driveway is paved too wide, then that's going to be a little bit more of an investment for you to fix that. So, okay, we've talked a lot about zoning here, about what it is, why cities do it. Here's another question. Why should you care? Apparently you do because you've listened this far into our podcast. Yeah, so. I guess yeah, you care at least a little bit. So there's a start. Um, yeah, and there's there's a couple of reasons. One we touched on before is that it can affect things that happen 
to you or to your neighbor or in your neighborhood. And and like we said, a lot of neighborhoods in Madison do care about the zoning. And when um, developments are asking for things to be rezoned into something else, um, you'll get a lot of neighborhood feedback on that. It can also affect your property value or um, the character of where you live and, again, whether or not you can have chickens. But there's also some bigger picture reasons why you should care. Yeah. Zoning, oftentimes, it also overlaps with bigger issues. Zoning has historically been a tool of discrimination that has been used by cities to outline laws that specifically uh, create quotas for how many people of color can be in a neighborhood versus how many white people. Baltimore in 1910, actually, they created the first of these laws that said black people basically cannot live in a district that has more than 50 percent white people in it. A Supreme Court uh, overturned that in 1917, but uh, during during that decade, there was a lot of similar laws that were passed in um, cities like Chicago, for instance, and other places in the South. More recently, zoning has come up in conversations about religious discrimination. There have been a lot of examples uh, tracked by the U.S. Department of Justice of zoning laws being prohibitive for people trying to start a church and it's particularly true when it comes to mosques. Um, a memo that the DOJ released concluded that based on the number of cases they had prosecuted or investigated where there was a, a, a possibility that zoning ordinances were infringing on people's religious rights to create spaces of worship, that, quote, there is a particularly severe discrimination faced by Muslims in land use based on investigations they've done between 2010 and 2016. Another big issue here is that of economic segregation. There's a body of research about how when cities create caps on density or caps on building height, that creates kind of artificial scarcity that boosts up the costs of rent. And when rent goes up, it means that richer people might move into a part of the city and lower income or poorer folk aren't able to live there. These are just a couple of examples, but, I, you know, it's, it's really interesting. Zoning is often at the heart of discussions about these big issues. And for what it's worth, when it comes to Madison, Matt Tucker did say that the city is committed to equity in zoning, although there are limits to that. We can't necessarily use our zoning code to require affordable housing because the law doesn't allow us to do that. Um, but we're really uh, looking at ways that we can be responsive to, to all the people. This was the Mad Splainers podcast. This is our first pilot episode of the show, and we're really eager to find out what you guys think about it. So we've put together a really short survey that we would super appreciate you filling out once you're done listening. You can find it by going to captimes.com, clicking on podcasts, and then you'll find a survey at the top of the page. You'll soon be able to find the Mad Splainers on iTunes. In the meantime, you can check out our other podcasts like The Corner Table, Wedge Issues, and The Cost of Opportunity. And thanks to Kevin McLeod, who provided that music here at the beginning of the show, called Marty Gots a Plan. Thanks for listening, and episode two will be coming at you real soon. Bye, everyone. Thank you.